is Zarni Solani, who writes in, who's an essayist, writes, uh, a writer, writes in numerous uh, uh, magazines, mostly um, uh, based in India. Uh, right now, she works for vice.com. Um, um, and also has a book coming out uh, on running uh, with with, a, with an Indian athlete, written with an Indian athlete called Run, uh, Run, right? And it's coming out later this year. So that's all I'll say uh, in in the way of um, introductions. But um, what we thought we would do is to start with um, a general question, uh, one that perhaps uh, Kanan might respond to. Um, most, but we'll give people, uh, each person, a chance to respond to it as much as they wish. Um, and we'll speak to for, say, 45, 50 minutes and then open up to discussion. We've got Kanan uh, um, uh, uh, and uh, Murugan uh, Tamil speakers, so it also would be lovely to have questions uh, posed in Tamil and having a conversation going in Tamil, and I think there will be translation available, um, and of course, English. But um, we thought it might actually be useful in the first uh, sentence of the little abstract, you see extraordinary pressures have been put on India's democratic culture in the last few years. Um, and it ends by saying that India was once an exemplar democracy in the developing world, right? So we, I thought it'd be helpful, and, and given uh, many, uh, and um, young people in the crowd as well to um, ask the question um, you know was India an exemplary democracy at one time you know and to think about that as a starting point and how might it have been an exemplary democracy in, in global terms so I, I'll have Kanan start off with that so um, India was officially a democracy in 1947. And I think before that, at uh, no point in history did the Indian civilization as a whole have any concept of equality at any level. Uh, not during the British period, when there was definitely a colonial domination, not during the Mughal period before that, or at any period before. Uh, the community itself was deeply divided on the basis of caste, which is clearly has no place for equality in any sense. Also gender inequality, and I think racial inequality, and equal, inequality of every sort was there in India at the time of independence. But I think uh, out of this society and out of this national struggle for independence came a constitution which, is, which I think is a minor miracle in the sense that the first day onward, it gave vote to every single Indian citizen. And it had gender equality in it. And every citizen was equal to the other. There was no religious uh, discrimination. And so all these bright qualities were there in the constitution. And I think there was this dream of equality at that time. And we did travel towards that dream um, in steps for a few decades. I, my personal feeling is that at, uh, at present times, we seems to have lost that dream, or at least majority of India does not strive for that dream anymore. But you were saying um, in, in our prior conversation that India was also something that other countries looked up to as a democracy. And in the lead up to independence, um, African Americans, or, or what, what we used to be called black Americans in the past, Black American movements were also, uh, among other kinds, other pan-African Asian movements, looking to India also as an, um, um, looking to India's anti-colonial struggle uh, for inspiration, right? So there's that kind of background as well. So I think, you know, especially speaking of the various colonial, uh, colonized countries around the world, that the real option of you know, taking up an armed fight and defeating the colonizer was not there in many places. So everybody was struggling with some kind of violence, some kind of armed struggle, and exactly not knowing how to go about this. In that context, I think the unique um, militant nonviolence 
as a concept that was proposed by Gandhi did give a lot of hope and power to oppressed people around the world. Thank you. Does Murugan, do you want to add anything? Yeah. Can I just check the sound again? Uh, I, think, I think it's us who can't hear very well. Okay, but you can. Okay. We, well, we won't be able to listen to each other, but you'll be able to listen to us. Wanakam. India, one time, there was a great place in India. இப்போ இல்லை அப்படிங்கிற மாதிரிலாம் ஒரு ஒற்றை வாக்கியத்தில் சொல்ல முடியாதுன்னு நினைக்கிறேன் நான் ஏன் சொன்னால் இந்தியா வந்து பல மொழிகளை கொண்ட ஒரு நாடு அதே போல் பல இனங்களை கொண்ட நாடு அது மட்டும் இல்லாமல் பல ஜாதி வேறுபாடுகளை கொண்டிருக்கக்கூடிய ஒரு நாடு இப்படிப்பட்ட ஒரு நாட்டில் ஜனநாயகம் அப்படிங்கிற ஒரு அந்த அமைப்பு முறை நிலவுவதே ஒரு பெரிய அதிசயம்னு நான் நினைக்கிறேன் ஒவ்வொரு காலகட்டத்திலையுமே இந்த ஆயிரத்தி தொள்ளாயிரத்தி நாற்பத்தி ஏழில் ஜனநாயக நாடாக மாறினதுக்கு பின்னால் இன்னும் சொல்லப்போனால் பிரிட்டிஷ் பீரியடிலேயே கூட ஒரு ஜனநாயகம் வந்து அங்கே வந்துருச்சு கிட்டத்தட்ட ஆயிரத்தி தொள்ளாயிரத்தி இருபதுக்கு அப்புறமே தேர்தல் நடக்க ஆரம்பிச்சிது அந்த காலகட்டத்திலேயே கூட ஜனநாயகத்துக்கான அம்சங்கள் வந்துருச்சு ஒவ்வொரு காலகட்டத்திலையும் ஒரு ஒரு விதமான உரிமைகளை பெறுவதற்கான போராட்டங்கள் நடந்திருக்குது உரிமைகள் கிடைச்சிருக்குது சொல்லப்போனால் எல்லா விதமான ஜாதியைச் சேர்ந்தவர்களுக்கும் ஓட்டு வாக்குரிமை கிடைச்சதுங்கிறது பெண்களுக்கு வாக்குரிமை கிடைச்சது அப்படிங்கிறது அதே போல் சமூகத்தின் ஒவ்வொரு படிநிலையில் இருக்கக்கூடியவர்களுக்கும் கல்வியில் வேலைவாய்ப்பில் இடஒதுக்கீடு அப்படிங்கிற அது சமூக நீதி கோட்பாடுன்னு சொல்லக்கூடிய இது இது எல்லாமே ஜனநாயகம் கொடுத்த மிகப்பெரிய கொடைன்னு நினைக்கிறேன் familiar with democracy and practiced democracy in some sense even during the colonial period right from the 1920s where elections and elections began to be held and after 1947 uh, every indian of any caste any religion man or woman everybody had a vote and uh, there were several struggles to gain, gain more and more equality in india there is this concept of social justice and there is a concept of reservation where uh, seats and places are reserved for people from more oppressed uh, economically and educationally oppressed communities and i think these are all you know very powerful um, tools that you know forms of things that came out of the indian democracy so in the oru kuripitta 60 70 varshathile paarkumbode inda jananayathukku edirana amsangal neraiya sandarbhangalla vandirukku அதையெல்லாம் கடந்து அந்த தடைகளையெல்லாம் கடந்து தான் இன்றைக்கி வ வந்திருக்கோம் அதே போல் தான் இப்போ இப்போவும் நான் என்ன நினைக்கிறேன்னா இப்போவும் ஜனநாயகம் கொடுக்கக்கூடிய சில உரிமைகளை பெறுவதற்கான போராட்டங்களை தொடர வேண்டியிருக்குது அப்படிப்பட்ட ஒரு தொடர்ச்சியான ஒரு போராட்ட நிலையில் தான் ஜ இந்திய ஜனநாயகம் இருந்துகிட்டு இருக்குது அப்படின்னு நினைக்கிறேன் and even now there is the need to continuously fight and retain our democratic rights so i think that um, hopefully was a, a helpful um, starting point because um, we aren't really here to discuss indian democracy but we want to look at the kinds of pressures people face today and given that this is a festival of writers and readers um we want to now think um through your individual experiences as writers uh, and, and and at least one publisher what has been um what has been your own experience of the contemporary pressures on indian democracy so perhaps we could start with with you divani um to to relate through your own work how um um i think we've used a very broad term to to try to not be 
too overly judgmental, pressures on democracy. So uh, how have those pressures exerted themselves in, in the course of your own work? Um, I mean, definitely the first thing that comes to mind and we're talking about press freedom as well is definitely censorship, which is something that we discuss all the time in terms of what's happening uh, around Asia, around the world. Actually, uh, India, it's there in the note as well, has slid down when it comes to the press freedom index. Uh, has this been happening increasingly more uh, since the past four or five years with a new government? Uh, definitely. Uh, we have a prime minister who wouldn't talk to the media at all. He doesn't give any press interviews whatsoever. He's definitely a Twitter influencer. He has 40 million people out there, uh, but not a single interview except humans of Bombay, which is like humans of New York. Uh, I mean, this is just uh, a, a telling point in terms of uh, how information gets disseminated now. Uh, the what has happened over the past few years has been uh, more about a culture of fear uh, that has pervaded uh, the entire country and what you're operating in is that culture of fear and what emerges from it is this culture of self-censorship which is basically uh, the first point uh, of the going down of a democracy. It's where you yourself are holding back from what you want to say, not because, because you're preempting someone else uh, uh, pulling you up and in India when when you say you're being pulled up it's not really uh, as easy or simplified a process our legal system the many loopholes it goes on for years and years um, I mean just to give you a very uh, a basic example of how self-censorship works uh, very early on in my career I was just like 21 or 22 at that time I was with a tabloid called midday it's a newspaper um, at that time we had uh, I was a features writer at that time uh, uh, would you guys know what bachelorette cakes are? Uh, human anatomy on cakes splashed over. It's just like a fun way to have like bachelorette parties. Uh, that was a big trend coming to India at that time and we were discussing it. One of my first friends was getting married. My editor was like, why don't you do a piece on it? So you have cakes with uh, boobs and penises out there splashed on a newspaper. Midday being a tabloid had to carry it on the front page. But it's a cake after all. It's, it's edible. It's not really uh, human anatomy out there. Uh, a public, I, I remember this happened on a Saturday. On Monday, I come to office. The gates are locked. Uh, there, there are two massive police vans outside. Uh, I'm nicely walking in and I'm quickly like uh, uh, taken inside. And uh, I'm like, what is all this for? And they're like, it's for you. And it turns out that a political party went and vandalized one of the cake makers workshops who we had written about. Um, and I was charged with um, outraging the modesty of women, which is one of the acts under which you can be uh, uh, charged under. Uh, and I remember like early on in my career like this at 21, 22 when you're taken to a police station and uh, like such a case is taken up when you know it should actually be a non-case. But you are like doing the fingerprints thing, you are there for a whole, whole day. It kind of, and this is a big political party who has pulled you up. It's not like an individual having taken offense. It's a political party against a 21 year old writer who's just starting out. And I remember very early in my career being worried about writing about certain things uh, only because I have to go to the court even eight years later just to show my face every four months or so. It's, it's, it's difficult, right? You're traveling somewhere, you have to come back just because you have to keep the court appointment. It's a long legal process. Uh, now I work with Vice and I don't know if you guys are aware of the content we do. A lot of it is about things that people don't talk about. It is about sex, it is about drugs, it's about queer communities, it's about uh, mental health, uh, uh, and every time like we're putting out an interview with a drug dealer, I ask myself, should I put my name out there? What if this is pulled up? Uh, luckily, we still operate by the principle of let's do it and let's figure afterwards what, what we're going to do about it, how we're going to tackle this. Uh, luckily, we still have an editorial management that says, go ahead, do it, we, we'll figure out if there is any issue whatsoever. But this culture of fear, and I see it with other journalists all the time as well, and it's not just about uh, the government pulling you up, right? It's also about the management that you're working with pulling you up. A lot of it is very tied up with, uh, it's run by people who are in positions of power, which means that censorship comes from your own workplace as well in many cases. It's not just about out there. It's about who is financing your paper, who are the advertisers pumping in money there. Um, Sorry, was that, does that answer your question? I'm just rambling right now. I, I think that would lead nicely into the kinds of experiences that uh, um, 
Morgan and, and uh, Cannon have faced in, in publishing uh, Morgan's work. So perhaps you could uh, provide uh, the audience with a sense of uh, um, the experience you went, you went through in the publication of your work. என்னுடைய சொந்த அனுபவம் அப்படின்னு சொல்லி பார்த்தா இந்த ரெண்டாயிரத்தி பதினாலு கடைசி ரெண்டாயிரத்தி பதினஞ்சு தொடக்கத்தில் நான் எழுதின ஒரு புத்தகத்துக்கு பெரிய எதிர்ப்புகள் உருவாச்சு நான் அந்த எதிர்ப்புகளை கூட வந்து இப்போ புதுசாக உருவானது அப்படின்னு நான் பார்க்கல அதுக்கும் கூட ஒரு பெரிய வரலாறு உண்டு நீங்கள் பிரிட்டிஷ் பீரியடில் பாரதியாருடைய பாடல்களுக்கு தடை போடப்பட்டது அது மாதிரி அதற்கப்புறம் சுதந்திரத்திற்கு அப்புறம் வந்து பெரியாருடைய கொள்கைகளை பேசக்கூடிய சில புத்தகங்களுக்கு தடை விதிக்கப்பட்டது புலவர் குழந்தை அப்படிங்கிற ஒரு எழுதின ராவண காவியம் அந்த புத்தகத்துக்கு காங்கிரஸ் அரசாங்கம் வந்து தடை போட்டிருந்தது இப்படி நிறைய வரலாற்று ரீதியாக ஒரு புத்தகத்துக்கு எதிர்ப்பு வர்றது அப்படிங்கிறது தொடர்ந்து இருக்கக்கூடிய ஒரு விஷயம்தான் என்னுடைய புத்தகத்துக்கு ஸோ இன் பை த எண்ட் ஆஃப் டூ தௌசண்ட் ஃபோர்டீன் அண்ட் ஏர்லி ஃபிஃப்டீன் ஒன் ஆஃப் இஸ் புக்ஸ் இட்ஸ் அ நாவல் கால் மாதுருபாகன் Uh, it came under a lot of attack um, so this this uh, attacking a book or you know trying to suppress a book has a history in india um, poetry and you know works of tamil national poet uh, subramanya bharathi's works were banned during the colonial period and later on in independent india too in the state of tamil nadu books that were associated with promoting the ideas of social reformer and rationalist thinker uh, E.V. Ramaswamy, also known as Periyar, popularly. Uh, his ideas and works were banned, especially one work called uh, Like Ramayana. He made the villain of Rama, Ramayana, Ravana, into the hero and wrote a book which was banned by the state government in Tamil Nadu. அந்த மாதிரி ஒரு வரலாறு இருக்குது பட் என்னுடைய புத்தகத்துக்கு வந்தது அப்படிங்கிறது அரசாங்கம் தடை அப்படின்னு இல்லை புதுசாக அல்லது வந்து இப்போ இந்த ஒரு அஞ்சு ஆறு வருஷங்களில் தமிழ்நாட்டில் அல்லது இப்போ இந்தியாவில் வந்திருக்கக்கூடிய ஒரு சூழலுங்கிறது கொஞ்சம் வேறு மாதிரியானது அதாவது ஜாதி சார்ந்த கட்சிகள் ஜாதி சார்ந்த அமைப்புகள் அப்படிங்கிறது அவற்றினுடைய வளர்ச்சி அவற்றினுடைய ஆதிக்கம் அப்படிங்கிறது நிறைய வந்துருச்சு அதனுடைய ஒரு வெளிப்பாடாகத்தான் என்னுடைய புத்தகத்துக்கு வந்த எதிர்ப்பை நான் பார்க்குறேன் அதில் மதம் சார்ந்த அமைப்புகளும் இணைஞ்சிருந்தது மதம் ஜாதி ரெண்டுக்கும் இருக்கக்கூடிய இணைப்பையும் அதில் பார்க்க முடிஞ்சது ஆக அந்த அப்படிப்பட்ட அமைப்புகள் ஒரு புத்தகத்துக்கு எதிர்ப்பு தெரிவிப்பதற்கு கையாளக்கூடிய ஜனநாயக வழிமுறைகள் அப்படிங்கிறத கடந்து ஒரு தனிப்பட்ட நபருடைய வாழ்க்கை முறை பாதிக்கிறதுக்கான அம்சமாக அந்த எதிர்ப்புகள் இருந்தது மிரட்டல் அப்படிங்கிறதும் ஸோ ஹிஸ் புக் வாஸ் நாட் பேன் பை த ஸ்டேட் ஆர் எனி கவர்மெண்ட் ஓவர் த லாஸ்ட் டெக்கேட் இன் இந்தியா எஸ்பெஷலி இந்த ஸ்டேட் ஆஃப் தமிழ்நாடு வி ஹவ் ஹேட் பொலிட்டிக்கல் பார்ட்டிஸ் தேட் ரெப்ரஸன்ட் ஏ பர்டிகு ஏ பர்டிகுலர் காஸ்ட் and several parties like that and uh, so these parties have gained a lot of domination in the state in various regions also organizations and so it is it is in this context that his book under came under attack in his region and uh, one, one could also see that um, religious organizations also were part of that uh, uh, attack on the book and one could see that the caste and religious organizations were forging an alliance um, against the book they had every right to oppose this book but instead of taking up any of the democratic means of opposition available to available to them they chose to threaten and attack the writer 
அது அரசு அந்த எனக்கு ஒரு தனிப்பட்ட முறையில் நான் வந்து ஊற விட்டு வெளியேறக்கூடிய அளவுக்கான ஒரு மிரட்டல் அந்த புத்தகத்தை ஒட்டி வந்தது அதில் அரசு வந்து அதை எப்படி பார்த்தது அப்படின்னு சொன்னால் அதை சட்டம் ஒழுங்கு பிரச்சனையாக பார்த்து அதை அணுகிச்சு அது ஒரு விஷயம் அதெல்லாம ஜாதி சார்ந்த அமைப்புகள் அதை பார்த்தது அப்படிங்கிறது என்னென்னா இன்றைக்கி பொறுத்த வரைக்கும் ஒவ்வொரு ஜாதியுமே வரலாற்று ரீதியாக தாங்கள் புனிதமானவர்களாக தங்களை கட்டமைத்து கொள்வதற்கு விரும்புகிறாங்க எந்த வேல்யூஸ் எல்லாம் இன்னைக்கு மோசமானவை அப்படின்னு கருதுகிறாங்களோ அந்த வேல்யூஸ் எல்லாம் தங்களுடைய ஜாதியில் எப்போவுமே இருந்ததில்லை என்று கட்டமைத்து கொள்ள ஒரு ஜாதியை புனிதப்படுத்துவதற்கான அந்த கண்ணோட்டம் இருக்குது ஆக அந்த அடிப்படையில் ஜாதி அமைப்புகள் எதிர்ப்புகளை தெரிவித்தார் so at one point uh, during that uh, opposition uh, situation became so bad that he had to leave the town with his family uh, the government the view that government the way the government handled the issue was like they would handle any law and order problem uh, they did not give any more importance to that and so the context of is this is that you know every caste in india today wants to create a history where they can be seen as pure and blameless in the eyes of history and whatever values they they think is uh, the right values right now they hold on to those values and try to prove that they never practice anything that is counter to these present values at any time in their history and they they, they try to whitewash the entire history in a way that is convenient to them now so if we could um say spend a few minutes talking about the kinds of strategies um you have developed as writers um in your case um when you faced threats with the book um you went to court you were taken to court and uh, and uh, the book the 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 courts actually uh, ruled in favor of the book and said that the state should actually do more to protect writers so in that case um it would seem like the democratic process is working right or the judicial process but uh, but um maybe you you could all start thinking now about what kinds of strategies you how have you shifted your work you know, in response to these kinds of pressures on democracy so okay so before we discuss the strategies i will i will clarify briefly what happened so we did not go to the courts uh, for simple reason that like i said earlier there was no state action in this uh, against the book for us to challenge it to the court it was uh, the public community and caste leaders putting a pressure on the writer to you know suppress his work and uh, so how how this matter hap- hap- happened was that at one point he was the local administration forced him to kind of sign an apology of sorts for hurting the sentiments of people and so how to oppose this is another question but what was the what came out of this i think it was a very very effective way of taking on the forces was that he published a facebook statement in tamil and he posted it on the night he had to sign that contract at this level it is possible this this controversy might have stayed within one state one language one area like it typically happens uh, but uh, we we acted uh, after seeing that statement not by midnight and we at then and there made a translation of that statement and we sort of posted that on social media so the statement brought me tell the audience what the statement was yes, and i'm also I, a little bit mystified yeah. how that statement created Uh, such a huge yes. uproar so i i love to say from memory but uh, uh, what permal morgan had said was that the writer permal morgan is dead um he is not does not exist anymore he is also a professor in a local uh, college it is the only the professor p morgan who exists now and he will not be writing anymore so please leave him alone so this idea of a writer saying that he is dead that really by t- next morning 6 o'clock it was sort of national news 
the entire media was, we were actually, we were a Chennai book fair. So we were in a public place, uh, me as a publisher, he was in this town. So they all came to the fair to my stand and you know, um, by the morning, the stand had become like a, like a news media, uh, press meet and this started. Within three days, there was an editorial in the New York Times about this Indian writer uh, committing literary suicide. And then again, you know, this, this became an international news. And so I think that that statement was the most powerful uh, way that situation was countered at that point. And writer silencing himself completely, muting himself, became a very effective tool in that area. And we could not go to the court uh, for reasons I already told you, but uh, a, a, a progressive writer's organization went to the court saying that the local civil administration does not have the right to make this writer sign a statement to maintain civil and you know, law and order, ignoring, ignoring his right to freedom of expression enshrined in the Indian constitution. So that's how the matter went to court. And he chose not to uh, involve himself in the court case, as since he was, he had already declared himself uh, not a writer dead. But um, I, I actively participated in the court case when summons came to me. And I was lucky enough to have a very good lawyer, Dr. Suresh, who was the president of the Indian People's Union of Civil Liberties. He, he made the most powerful arguments in the court. Actually, he argued for 18 hours in the Madras High Court quoting um, cases from the European Union, the US, the UK, from India. And uh, at the end of that uh, thing, by 2016, July, we got a very powerful judgment. I would encourage you to go and read that judgment from the Madras High Court, the Permadurgan case. It's a landmark case. And completely supporting Permadurgan in the case, at the end of the judgment, the, the judge, Chief Justice of the court, he directly appealed to the writer to resurrect and come back and write. So that was a very positive and powerful case. What do you call, uh, I think in legal terms it's called a, uh, that's a word for cases that can be quoted again and again as a precedence. I think it's called a law case or law point. Yeah, I forget the word. So it is. it remains to be quoted again and again in various cases involving freedom of expression in India. Devani, do you want to um, say something about your own strategies um, I or don't others that you might, um, what, what, what's happening among fellow writers? Uh, I don't think there's a clear-cut, simple answer to that. It's all done in various ways. One of the main examples of very recent times is, of course, Kashmir and how are you going to report stories coming out of Kashmir uh, when there is a complete media black blackout and communication clampdown over there. Uh, and one thing about Vice, APAC at least has always been to get people who are from the scene to write about it and not like just parachute a white guy there and have him write about it. So um, I don't know, it just varies from case to case here. Uh, sorry, are you guys laughing at my white guy reference? <laughs> um, uh, it just varies. In this case, it's uh, basically uh, a lot of, like we're okay keeping certain names anonymous because we realize that what's more important than uh, like we realize that at some like in some cases it is difficult to tell a story and we want to enable the writer to tell the story anyway and if anonymity is what it takes we're okay with that though we of course realize what we sacrifice in the process is credibility so we have to tread that fine line in terms of figuring it out uh, uh, it 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 really, like, there is no simple answer to it. We, I mean, our main go-to thing in terms of how to do it is just let's do it and let's figure out what will happen later. Uh, one of the big things that has changed, at least in the past decade, I would say, is uh, I remember when, we, when I had started writing, the one thing that we'd be afraid about was defamation, you know, like, oh, you'll be, like, you'll have a defamation case thrown, thrown on you. What has changed now is that it's now been replaced by sedition, which is a much more complex, controversial, and powerful law. Uh, the the uh, penalties that are uh, attributed, like that come with sedition are also much more scarier and what like uh, what happens if you are charged with one. Uh, I don't know guys, like in their case also a good lawyer worked. We have a good legal team. I think it ultimately boils down to just uh, 
making sure you're doing what you're doing, trying to uh, say it in a way where you're not uh, negotiating what you want to say in any way, but yeah, putting it out there anyway. என்னுடைய நாவல் பிரச்சனை நடந்த போது கையாண்ட சில அதை அந்த நெருக்கடியை எப்படி கையாண்டங்கிறத பற்றி ஒரு சில விஷயங்கள் சொல்ல விரும்புகிறேன் முக்கியமாக ஒரு ஊர் பெரிய ஜாதி சார்ந்த அமைப்புகள் இவையெல்லாம் வந்து எதிர்ப்பு தெரிவித்த போது அவர்கள் அவங்களுக்கு எதிராக நான் பேசுவேன் அப்படின்னு தான் அவங்க எதிர்பார்த்தாங்க பட்டு நான் வந்து அப்படி செய்யலை முக்கியமாக அரசு எடுக்கக்கூடிய நடவடிக்கை நடவடிக்கைகளுக்கு முழுமையான ஒத்துழைப்பை கொடுப்பது அப்படின்னு சொல்லிட்டு நான் ஒரு நிலைப்பாடு எடுத்தேன் அவங்க அரசு வந்து பேச்சுவார்த்தைக்கு என்னை கூப்பிட்டா போகிறது அவங்க வந்து ரிட்டன் ஸ்டேட்மெண்ட் கேட்டால் கொடுக்குறது இது மாதிரி வந்து அரசு என்ன நடவடிக்கை எடுக்குதோ அந்த நடவடிக்கைக்கு முழுமையான ஒத்துழைப்பு கொடுப்பது அப்படிங்கிற ஒரு ஒரு முறையை நான் கையாண்டேன் அது வந்து எதிர்த்தரப்புக்கு அவர்களுக்கு அவர்களை வலுவிழக்க செய்வதில் அதில் முக்கியமான பங்கு வகித்ததுன்னு நான் நினைக்கிறேன் ஏன் சொன்னால் நான் எதிர்ப்பு அவர்களுக்கு எதிரான ஸ்டேட்மெண்ட்டுகள் விடும்போது அவங்க மேலே மேலே அந்த பிரச்சனையை கொண்டு போகிறதுக்கான ஒரு வழி கிடைக்கும் பட் நான் அப்படி செய்யாததுனால அவர்களுக்கு அடுத்தடுத்த கட்டத்துக்கு எப்படி எடுத்துகிட்டு போகிறதுங்கிறதுல சிக்கல் வந்தது ஸோ you know protest against his work uh, he had to adapt a certain strategy to uh, to take on them so what they expected was that he would openly speak against them and that would help them escalate the situation and you know take it to further steps and they themselves can become more powerful in the process but he decided not to say anything at all and that's the first thing the second thing was that he also decided to support the local administration in whatever they they wish to do if they want they invite him to peace talks he will go and participate in the peace talks if they sort of force him to sign a document then go sign a document so th- this this strategy that he personally took forward during that struggle uh, was not what the opposite group expected and it de-escalated the whole situation against their wishes அதே போல் அந்த ஃபேஸ்புக் ஸ்டேட்மெண்ட் நான் கொடுத்ததுக்கப்புறம் நான் வந்து பேசுவதை நிறுத்திட்டேன் பலவிதமான நான் என்னுடைய நிலைப்பாடு பற்றி பலவிதமான விமர்சனங்கள் வந்தது எதிர்த்தரப்பில் அதை பற்றியான நிறைய கடுமையாகலாம் பேசினாங்க எதுக்குமே நான் ரியாக்ட் பண்ணலை மௌனம் அப்படிங்கிறது என்னுடைய ஸ்ட்ராட்டஜியாக அந்த சமயத்தில் இருந்தது அதுவுமே அந்த சூழலை மட்டுப்படுத்துவதற்கு பெரிதாக உதவியதுன்னு நினைக்கிறேன் so after he issued the statement saying that right up parmarun is dead he completely went silent he sort of muted himself there was a lot of attacks on him for the way he handled this also from the opposite side but he completely refused to comment on any of those uh, arguments against him and stayed silent that also uh, created a situation where the opposite groups did not know how to handle this process இதே போல் கண்ணன் சொன்னது போல் நீதிமன்ற நடவடிக்கைகள் தொடங்கின சமயத்தில் முதல்ல நீதிமன்றத்துக்கு போனது தமிழ்நாடு முற்போக்கு எழுத்தாளர் சங்கம் ப்ரொக்ரஸிவ் ரைட்டர்ஸ் அசோசியேஷன் அவங்க தான் வந்து போனாங்க அப்போ கூட அந்த இவர் ஜட்ஜு வந்து என்னையும் மனுதாரராக சேர்ப்பதற்கு பல முறை அவங்க அழைப்பு விடுத்தாங்க எனக்கு வந்து அதில் நான் போகக்கூடாது அப்படின்னு எதிர்த்தரப்பிலிருந்து கடுமையான முயற்சியும் இது பண்ணாங்க எனக்கு தொடக்கத்தில் அதில் போகிறதுல விருப்பம் இல்லாமல் தான் இருந்துச்சு ஆனால் தொடர்ந்து நீதிபதிகள் அழைப்பு விடுத்த போது நான் இடம் மாறி என்னுடைய சொந்த ஊரிலிருந்து சென்னைக்கு இடம் மாறி வந்ததுக்கப்புறம் நான் வந்து மனுதாரராக சேர்ந்தேன் சேர்ந்து அந்த நீதிமன்ற நடவடிக்கைகளையும் பங்கெடுத்துக்கிட்டேன் அந்த சமயத்தில் வந்து இனிமேல் நீதிமன்றம்தான் அப்படிங்கிற மாதிரியான ஒரு சூழல் வந்திருந்த சமயம் அதுவும் ஒரு முக்கியமான ஒரு ஸ்ட்ராட்டஜின்னு தான் எனக்கு தோணுது so in the process of the legal struggle when the progressive writers association went to the court took up the matter uh, initially he did not participate in the events even though the court invited him to come in as a petitioner he, he kept away from it and there was expectation in some quarters that uh, hoping that he would come as a petitioner that that way they would be able to 
escalate the matter in the courts. On from the other side, they also wanted to keep him away from approaching the courts. And during the process, uh, he left his hometown, and then he had to, uh, he had to move to Chennai. So once he reached Chennai, the struggle that you know um, sort of waned away, and the entire matter was now the fought, fight was happening only in the courts of Madras High Court. At that point, on the invitation of the court, he decided to join the process as a petitioner. So we we started by taking stock of democracy, where, you know, when was India a democracy? Then we looked at a little bit um, about your own experiences under the current pressures in democracy. And then we've been talking about strategies. And so we've gone into some detail, at least in the case of uh, Morgan. How about before we open up to the audience, we, we tried to relate these um, deeper, more Indian questions to a larger context. Uh, what should other countries be looking out for? You know, what are the kinds of questions? Maybe Devani could could get the ball. Can, can I take one minute to? Oh, sure. Explain the adaptive strategy that I took up as a publisher. It won't take more than a minute. So, as a publisher, I adopted a strategy that was not always uh, uh, matching with the approach of Perman Murugan, the writer. So, I did it in a way that does not directly affect him. But I thought my job was to make sure that if they are going to suppress a book, I have to do everything possible to take the book to as many readers as possible. That was my approach. So the first thing I did was at the peak of the struggle, I had opportunity to uh, speak in a, a literary event like this in Chennai. And there were lo lots of youngsters there. So I first thing I told them was that if you decide to scan so, Paramahamurakhan, the writer, had withdrawn the book. He has asked me, after that, uh, that statement where he was forced to sign, he told us that you cannot reprint the book and you have to withdraw copies of the book. And uh, so the first thing I decided was that I told him, yes, uh, you are the writer, that no, you, have to, uh, you, you can decide that. But I invited the booksellers to my office in the wee hours of the morning and gave all my copies to them. I said, I won't sell it, but you go and sell it. So that, that edition thing was sold within two days. Now the next thing is I can't reprint the book. So at that literary event, I told the audience, mostly students and youngsters, uh, that if you decide to scan a copy of the book and pirate it and upload it online, I will not sue you. So that means you know hundreds of copies of the book was available by within two hours, and everybody could read the book. The first thing was to stop the book from being read. That was closed that day. And since then on, that we, we took forward this matter as a publisher very aggressively. We have promoted the book in as many languages as possible. And it has become such an international success that not many books have been attacked after this event in India. Though the temperament remains the same, the context has not changed. But the strategy of the opposition part group has changed in the sense that they think that by attacking a book, it goes counter to your motive of suppressing the book. Actually, it popularizes the book, and the book becomes a huge success. And also that you get so much bad name for attack when you attack a book. And they have sort of decided amongst themselves, at least for now, that let's not attack any more books. So thank you. That, that can, that's a nice way of generalizing the case within India. And um, but maybe a little bit more in terms of relating it to other experiences. And uh, uh, before we open up, uh, when we spoke prior to the panel, um, one of the things you raised, um, Devani, was um, how morality, morality has been playing a, a, a rather large role in the, um, um, or has become the means by which writing is suppressed, or even the attacks on uh, on Murugan are really based on uh, kind of moral concerns. So um, is that something we could broaden to uh, other audiences, people from other parts of the world, certainly uh, including Malaysian audiences? Um, but maybe you can start from um, your own experiences. Yeah, uh, I mean, we were discussing about how everything is being 
looked upon with a moral lens and that's increasingly happening uh, across Asian countries. I feel like, I mean, across the world actually, but I'm just talking about our part of the world right now. Uh, uh, just to take a very basic example of how uh, uh, queer issues are written about uh, India, just decriminal. I, I guess a lot of common narratives also play out because of our colonial history. Uh, uh, Singapore, for example, I believe is in the process of revisiting Section 377, uh, which uh, uh, criminalizes gay sex. Uh, India has just decriminalized it last year. The, the threads are quite common here. I believe a Malaysian minister uh, some months ago, a couple of months ago, said, on the other hand, that queer people don't exist in Malaysia, which is really hilarious. Uh, but I remember even a year ago before Section 377 got decriminalized on September 6th, we would wonder how we should write about uh, the issues that do affect this community. How do we write about, say, uh, if we are talking about uh, uh, sexual wellness issues in the gay community, uh, how do you approach it when gay sex by itself is criminalized? Uh, and all of these are looked upon as moral issues rather than health issues, wellness issues, or, or sexual wellness issues for that matter. And I believe like that's what ties our conversations around the continent together. Uh, I, I was attending a seminar in the morning where uh, Preeti, uh, Preeti, Preeti Please was talking about how her videos were pulled down because of offensive like, I mean, it, it, it had the word fuck in it, and like, that's why she was, like, they were pulled down, and uh, I think she's been given, like, a two-year, uh, 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 I don't know what you actually call it, it's... Uh, warning, exactly. Uh, and this is really, like, uh, at the base of it all, it is about morality, right? Like, it's about them deciding what is okay, what is not okay, which has always been the case, but now it's increasingly being looked upon with that lens uh, merely and nothing like beyond it. What are the issues that she raised? What about the racism that Indians are facing in Singapore? That all is secondary to the, the usage of the word fuck, which is actually the song from which she has even taken the video that she made on. Um, yeah, I think like a lot of issues across South Asia, Southeast Asia are common. How we're discussing sex, for example, is... Uh, uh, our narratives are very similar in that sense, what we're talking about when we're talking about these issues. And the idea is just to like completely like, like move forward in the face of, uh, I mean, I know that sounds too uh, uh, easy to do, but yeah, uh, just get on with it. Well, we have uh, a good, uh, nearly 30 minutes, so we can open up. And as I said at the start, if you wish to address your questions in Tamil, we've got one person. If you'd introduce yourself, and uh, if you wish to address your question in Tamil to Murugan, he's, he's more comfortable in the language, then uh, uh, you can do so. Uh, but please try to keep the initial questions brief, uh, especially if we need to translate from Tamil. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, um, thank you very much. I, I will not be asking in Tamil. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I, listening to what, uh, you, what you're speaking, um, as a Malaysian, it's, it's shocking and terrifying to, to witness India going down this, this road to uh, attacking the freedom of speech. It's unthinkable. And, um, I, but I am wondering, uh, two questions really. One is, I'm assuming that there must be some uh, popularity for this, this tightening in India uh, amongst certain communities who are probably enjoying this in the same way that I witness sort of Trumpian uh, folks enjoying the attacks on freedom of speech in America. And I'm wondering what kind of language do they, do they use, what kind of words do they use to, to describe, to justify uh, and enjoy what's happening? And the second question is, uh, looking forwards, um, I'm just wondering, in your opinions, what do you imagine will be the future journey? Is in five or ten years, is it going to, is this the new normal? Is it going to get worse, or do you, do you see a possible return? Is there is there anybody else who might like to a question or a comment? If there are issues that are unclear and you'd like to ask. Uh, Something you you're not you you might be ignorant about. Please feel free to do that too. 
Yeah? Okay, if not, then um, would you like to? Um, sh sure, I don't know how uh, exactly I can respond to that. But of course, propaganda is, uh, propaganda and fake news are two ways in which uh, what is, uh, uh, like I'm actually surprised now in retrospect that nationalism took a while to get into our conversation here on this stage because it's this whole rise of nationalism in India which is also backed by propaganda and fake news which is what is overtaking what uh, uh, should be news and what should be stuff out there. Uh, what is going to happen in the future is a little uh, bit tough to say but Modi's popularity even in this election clearly means that he's not going anywhere for for many years, especially because there is no opposition for him. The opposition is so weak uh, or, or not at all, you know, so which means that there is no one to counter uh, uh, his free will and whatever, however he sees the running of the country to go as. Um, I, I do strongly believe that uh, the thoughts which are very openly said these days, especially when it comes to targeting of minorities and other stuff, is probably something that a large section of India already always has thought about, like with any other country where you'll always have dissidents. Uh, it's just that it's an atmosphere cultivated where they are, it's okay to voice it out. It's like all the, it's all crawling out of the woodwork now and it's okay to say certain things about certain minorities. Uh, and I feel like it's only going to get worse now. Uh, we have this citizenship amendment bill that has uh, kind of been passed in the northeast of India, uh, in Assam. Uh, the only reference point, I can't believe Assam Laksa is something that popped up in my head, but that's where it comes from. And uh, people, Bangladeshi Muslims there, and these are lakhs of them, have been told to go back, as Kanan pointed out yesterday, one of them was someone who fought in one of the Indian wars, and now he's been told that because you're a Bangladeshi, we don't want you here, go back to where you came from. Uh, it doesn't matter if your wife, your kids, your mother, your father, everyone is here. There are people in a family where five of them are declared Indians, two of them are declared Bangladeshis. The kids are declared Bangladeshis while the parents are not. What happens then? They're being sent to camps. And I do believe that this has strong uh, uh, backing now in masses, which is the scary part of it. Where earlier, even if you believed that this was wrong, you wouldn't stand up and say that. Uh, uh, but now, because of the culture of fear, I mean, sorry, earlier you would stand up and say that, but now because of the culture of fear, you probably won't voice it out too loud. And also on the other hand, because you are seeing uh, a support from political parties in terms of your agendas, which are against minorities or certain communities, it's, it's okay for you to very openly proclaim your support for them. I do think it's a very scary situation and it'll take a while to reverse and come back to a point where we really are an exemplar democracy. We, are, we really are inviting and open to all communities, regardless of their religion, faith, uh, uh, gender, sex, all of it. So I think, you know, um, among the middle class, the elites, the upper caste, especially, also in, among many people, uh, non-Muslims in India, including probably the Christians and the Buddhists and other denominations, there is a certain level of distrust, animosity, possibly hatred against the Muslims of India. That did not, that was not created by the right-wing forces, that was exploited by them and also magnified by them. Now, the reasons for this are not something I can, you know, talk about in a panel like this, but I will broadly indicate that when you look at how colonialism took root in India on a very broad scale if you see that the Mughals are all there in power and then the British come, East India Company comes and wherever and wherever they want you can see that the so-called Hindu kings of that era they have always sided with the East India Company and helped them to establish the British road in India. So that is one thing you can easily notice if you read the earlier part of the history. I'm talking broadly, this is not true of every case, but this might be the broad picture. Also that when India and Pakistan split into two different countries, this is what followed was one of the worst tragedies in the you know, history of humanity, is that millions and millions of people during the partition, Hindus living on the other side, they had to travel and come to India and millions and millions from this part of India had to go to Pakistan 
and there was unimaginable cruelty, violence, hatred, uh, rape, murder, butchery in that phase. And that has left a huge wound in the psyche of India. If you, if you have experience traveling in India, if you follow what is happening in India, you would see that when you talk about the Muslim, there are completely two different attitudes. The northern part of India and the other parts of India like the northeast or south. This, especially in south, if you come, you would see that the level of animosity towards Muslims is much, much less. That if you, I am from the state of Tamil Nadu, if you come to my state of Tamil Nadu, every citizen of that state is considered a Tamil irrespective of their religion. The same would be true of the neighboring state of Malayalam, Kerala, or the state of Karnataka, etc. But once you move north, if you are a Muslim, you are a Muslim. You are not a Marathi, you are not from Uriya, you are not from Bihari, but you are a Muslim. So that striking difference is very, very important. So wherever this deep wound of partition left a mark, that still suffers from uh, anti-Muslim sentiment, and it is there, still now available for people to exploit. I mean, I just wanted to say that this kind of also mimics what's happening in the West, right? Like this whole idea of being okay with building the wall and like saying that, okay, these are the guys coming for our jobs and there is this whole mistrust of the others and let's send them back to where they came from. Uh, and that atmosphere is very much here as well, you know, and it's just that it's it's being given a platform now to air and it's it's okay for them to talk about the others who were never the others till some years back. Do we have um, anyone else? We've got three more, okay. And the busy note takers here, where, where are you from? Uh, so like, I would like to ask, like, after can, facing in... Can I just ask a quick question, where are you all from? Uh, Singapore. From a school? Jurong Pioneer Junior College. Oh, okay. Well, welcome to ask a question. Uh, You're taking a lot of notes. Okay. So, uh, I think I saw it go one, two, three. Yeah, you can go ahead, start. Okay. Um, do any of you feel that there is any hope that a credible opposition will rise up anytime in the near future? And if you do, where is it going to come from? How is this thing going to take shape? Um, my name is Dinesha. You mentioned 377. That's something that we are also grappling with right here and in Singapore. I'm wondering if you could track in the arts, in writing, in publication, was there a change leading up to 377 being overturned? Did anything happen creatively within the arts, within writing? Is there a way to possibly track that, if there's any at all? Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, my question is directed to Mr. Paramal Murugan, and uh, I feel more comfortable spe uh, asking my question in Tamil. So, welcome, uh, sir. You are good to hear from me. I am very happy. In my opinion, you are very poor. You are not a good person. You are not a good person. You are the willpower so basically my question is um, with regards to uh, Mr. Purumal's uh, struggles uh, and, and not only for his himself but also for literature in India um, I, 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 because he seems so calm so I'm, I'm wondering where did he find that willpower to actually fight and, and, and pursue his struggle because you know there's a very famous uh, Malay idiom I yang tenang jangan harapkan tiada buaya. You know, so yeah, my line of questioning is along that. Well, you need to translate that Malay poem. There's uh, I'm not really good. <laughs> calm waters don't necessarily mean the absence of crocodiles. Yes. So, literal translation. Did these gentlemen and women here, did you have any? No pressure, just curious. No? Okay, yeah, there we go. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, so, the question I would like to ask is right. To me, India is changing. So based on the news that I read, like for example, the 377, the thing. 
So I'm thinking that the perceptions of the commoners and the people there are changing, right? So how do you think this is going to impact the value of your work and how you write in the future? Thank you. Great question. How will it value, how will a changing India, presumably a future India as well, will, how will it change the value of your work? Um, great question. So uh, we, might, we might see how much time we have, but we might wrap up with, with this. But the gentleman who asked the second question, Dinesha, um, said that it, it, it was referring to here as Singapore, which is, which is good because I think... No, I know, I know. But that, I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we do think of Singapore and Malaysia as connected because they are very connected in their histories and politics. So... Um, you, did you want to start? Uh, sorry. Is this, yeah. Uh, your question is about Section 377, right, particularly. I think it uh, happened because of queer visibility increasing around the world. Uh, it took a while to get to us in India. Uh, but also there were very many uh, uh, platforms and safe spaces made for the queer community in India only over the past six, seven years. Uh, which kind of gave them the courage to be uh, who they want to and uh, uh, the, like the whole idea of queer parades and all is also pride parades is, is still like just maybe uh, seven, eight years old. Uh, uh, but now like we can see that it's even uh, spreading to small town India, which was something unthinkable of just like five, six years ago. I think the main reason being that uh, the creation of safe spaces has enabled them to basically uh, talk about what they want, about them, uh, about the inclusivity where, which comes, uh, uh, which is mandatory there. But it was also to do with uh, 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 the Chief Justice of India, who was uh, like at that time. Like I, there are, a, it's a very controversial topic in terms of the other things that he didn't do. But this was one of the good things he did before. Like he did uh, finish his term uh, last year. I think there was a good build-up to it over the past two, three years. There were also platforms made specifically for the queer community and they were encouraged uh, to talk about their issues and uh, like this whole thing of freedom of expression there uh, did play out in a good way, in a good sense where uh, there wasn't really any clamp down on what they were saying. Though of course being one and being yourself in the community is still it'll take a long time for the mentality to catch up with the law, which is still far behind. Like the law is there, you are given the right to be one. But are you still going to be comfortable uh, being say transgender in India today? Maybe not, it'll still take a while for us to get there. Uh, and I guess it's similar probably in Singapore and Malaysia. We were talking to Pink Dot uh, earlier and it's amazing the kind of work they're doing. And we have like similar organizations called Humsafar in India. Um, it is quite parallel in that sense, and I hope Malaysia gets there soon as well. Perhaps that, that addresses that question, but could we go back to the first one, the credible opposition? You, um, you see a credible opposition coming up. You know, I wish I had the powers to foresee what is going to come. Um, I, don't, I can't answer the question with any confidence. But uh, what I do feel is uh, that there is this very popular trend of family-based politics in India. And I think uh, the time has come for that to end. Unless uh, that happens, we are, not going to, we are not going to see Congress party as a credible opposition force um, till that happens. That is my feeling. And it is, I think it is more or less very clear to all of us that uh, the family that has ruled Congress in India for most parts is completely useless at this present juncture. Uh, they are not capable of uh, taking on what is happening right now. And, uh, but it is not that, you know, in every, every aspect of democratic politics, the Hindu right wing is winning. It is not happening. In state election after state elections, you do get results where they are not accepted. They are thrown out. Even this month, the state of Maharashtra, they lost. They are going to lose the power. But you do not see 
that this family-based Congress party has the power to exploit those situations against the Hindu right wing. And I think the sooner they're out of politics, uh, that would be better for India. And that is only one party. There are many parties in many parts of India that are family-based. And I don't think they're going to be able to forge an alliance uh, against the Hindu right wing. Then there's the question about how did Mr. Murugan find his willpower? <laughs> பெரிய ஒரு போராளியாக நான் செயல்படுறேன்னு சொல்ல முடியாது ஆனால் இயல்பில் மனிதனிடம் அல்லது ஒரு உயிரிடம் இருக்கக்கூடிய போராட்ட உணர்வு அப்படிங்கிற அடிப்படை உண்டு இன்னொரு வகையில் இதை சொல்லப்போனால் நான் வந்து ஒரு விவசாய குடும்பத்திலிருந்து வந்தவன் உங்களுக்கு தெரிஞ்சிருக்கும் இந்தியாவில் விவசாயம்ங்கிறது வந்து ஒரு தொழில் கிடையாது அது ஒரு வாழ்க்கை முறை அந்த வாழ்க்கை முறையிலிருந்து பெற்றுக்கொண்ட ஒரு போராட்ட உணர்வு எனக்குள்ளே இருக்குதுன்னு நினைக்கிறேன் எப்படின்னா ஸோ ஐ ஓன்ட் சே தட் ஐ எம் ஐ எம் அ வெரி ஸ்ட்ராங் ஆக்டிவிஸ்ட் ஆர் அ சார்ட் ஆஃப் வாரியர் ஆஃப் சார்ட்ஸ் ஃபைட்டிங் அகெயின்ஸ்ட் தீஸ் ஃபோர்ஸஸ் ஐ டோன்ட் சி மை செல்ஃப் தட் வே அண்ட் பட் த எவ்ரி லிவிங் திங் ஹேஸ் ஹேஸ் த வில் டு ஸ்ட்ரகிள் அகெயின்ஸ்ட் அகெயின்ஸ்ட் ஃபாரஸ்ட் இன்ட்ரெஸ்ட் also i am from a agricultural family in india agriculture is not a profession but a way of life and through that way of life i have uh, sort of gained some yeah so i have i have i have gained some form of energy to struggle from the agricultural life குறிப்பாக எங்கள் பகுதி அதாவது தமிழ்நாடுடைய வெஸ்டர்ன் பார்ட்டு அங்கே இருக்கக்கூடிய விவசாய முறை அப்படிங்கிறது மழை இருந்தால் விவசாயம் அது மாதிரியானது வானம் பார்த்த பூமி மானவாரின்னு சொல்லுவாங்க அந்த விவசாய வாழ்க்கை பார்த்திங்கன்னா ஒரு வருஷம் மழை பெஞ்சால் நல்லாயிருக்கும் ஒரு வருஷம் ஒன்றுமே இல்லாமல் போயிடும் ஆடு மாடுகளுக்கெல்லாம் கூட தண்ணி இருக்காது ஆடு மாடுகளெல்லாம் விற்க வேண்டிய சூழல்லாம் கூட வரும் ஆக நீங்கள் அந்த மாதிரியான ச நிலை வரும்போது மழை இல்லாத போது மனசு உடஞ்சி சோர்வாக போயிடுறதுங்கிறது இயல்பு அதே கொஞ்சம் மழை பெஞ்சிருச்சுன்னா உடனே அதிலிருந்து மீண்டு வந்து அடுத்த என்ன செய்யலாம் அப்படின்னு வரக்கூடிய ஒரு உணர்வு இருக்கும் இப்படி வந்து சோர்வு வேகம் இப்படி தொடர்ந்து அடுத்தடுத்து இருக்கக்கூடிய ஒரு வாழ்க்கை முறை தான் அந்த விவசாய முறை அதே முறை தான் நான் வந்து ஒரு பொது வெளிக்கு எழுத்தாளனாக வரும்போதும் அதே மாதிரி தான் சில சமயம் மனசு உடஞ்சி போயிடுறது உண்டு சில சமயம் வந்து இந்த எழுத்து கொடுக்கக்கூடிய ஒரு வேகம் அந்த உத்வேகத்தின் காரணமாக மேலே வந்து இது இதுக்கு எதிராக வந்து நிற்கணும் அப்படின்னு ஒரு உத்வேகம் வர்றது உண்டு இப்படி ரெண்டும் அதிலிரு அதையும் இதையும் என்னால் லிங்க் பண்ணி பார்க்க முடியுதுன்னு தோணும் எஸ்பெஷலி அக்ரிகல்ச்சர் இந்த வெஸ்டர்ன் பார்ட் ஆஃப் தமிழ்நாடு வேர் தெர் இஸ் லெஸ் ஆஃப் வாட்டர் ரிசோர்ஸஸ் இஸ் டிபெண்ட் வெரி மச் ஆன் த ரெயின்ஸ் if there are rains there is agriculture if there are no rains this year then there is no agriculture and then there are no you know not not enough food to go around there might not be enough water for your cattle which may lead to selling your selling your cattle off so it is it is a lot it has a lots of ups and downs struggles and then some you know enthusiasm when the rains come and then some hope then again back to your struggle losing your hope it is the same attitude that he has brought to his life as a writer when things go good he gets out of enthusiasm when he has you know he has to face a hardship you know he is heartbroken and that's how he is taking on all these things thank you very much well uh, maybe we could end on that last question right uh, how will your work be valued in a changing india it sounds like a good question to end on yeah how will your work be viewed how will it be valued um with probably looking to the future right how do you see the work of a writer the work of a publisher um, how your work will be valued in the future uh i don't know what that means actually uh i uh i feel like uh, the good thing about the past 
few years has been that uh, there is an audience for the kind of work you want to do because uh, I guess technology has enabled you to find your audience, uh, which is still a very, uh, I know everyone goes gaga over the whole idea of technology and media, and I'm not going to do that, but it definitely has, uh, like Vice is just a year and a half old in India, we're still building our community, but it's good to know that there are people interested in the kind of work you're putting out, uh, even though of course every post will have uh, 50 more people talking, like threatening to sue you and put you under sedition, but there is support for the kind of work you do as well. Uh, I feel uh, what's going to happen is all of us are going to find our communities as we go forward. Uh, work is going to be less homogenized and everyone is going to be able to put out what they want because there will be an audience that they'll be able to reach out uh, with the means of this. And that's great. I feel like finding your own community, your own tribe of people that you want to talk to is really the way forward rather than having one voice that appeals to everyone because uh, different narratives are important, different points of reasoning are important, uh, different ways of approaching a subject are important rather than being told that this is the only way to look at it. I, I, I am quite positive about where it'll go from here despite uh, freedom of expression, speech and all of it being under threat. I feel like it's it's it, it's going to be good. It's going to be good up ahead. That is one படைப்பு அப்படின்னு சொல்றது சமூகத்துல இப்ப நிலவக்கூடிய வேல்யூஸ் மேல கேள்விகளை எழுப்புவதுதான் ஒரு படைப்பினுடைய அடிப்படை அப்படிங்கிறது என்னுடைய புரிதல் அதனால ஒரு சமகாலத்துல இருக்கக்கூடிய சமூகத்திலிருந்து இந்த வேல்யூஸை தீவிரமா கடைபிடிக்கக்கூடிய நம்பக்கூடிய பிரிவுகள்ல இருந்து எதிர்ப்புகள் வரும் பட் வேல்யூஸை மீறி போகக்கூடிய புது இளைய தலைமுறையை அடுத்த தலைமுறைகள் வரும் அவர்களுக்கு வந்து கட்டாயமாக இதை பொருட்படுத்தி மதிப்பாங்கன்னு நான் நினைக்கிறேன் அதனால் எதிர்காலத்தில் படைப்புகளுக்கு உண்மையில் ரொம்ப நல்ல மதிப்பு இருக்கும் அது அப்படின்னு தான் அப்படிங்கிறது தான் என்னுடைய எண்ணம் ஸோ ஹவு ஹி சீஸ் த ரோல் ஆஃப் அ கிரியேட்டிவ் ஒர்க் இஸ் தட் இட் கொஸ்டின்ஸ் த வேல்யூஸ் தட் the present day society strongly believes in a criticism a take critical take on the present day values is a fundamental quality of a literary work therefore when the next generation moves beyond those values of the present society they would more likely to appreciate a creative work so he sees that creative works will be more valued in the future thank you so he's not really writing to keep up with current values I hope that answered your question. I think we uh, will have to wrap up now. And uh, thank you all, first and foremost. And uh, thanks to the audience for being here.